So about five weeks ago, she started me on a single 500 milligram tablet of metformin. Now back a couple years ago when I had been taking metformin by itself, I was taking a thousand milligrams twice a day. Well, in her wisdom, she decided I should start back on a single 500 milligrams, so 25% of my dose. Hi, and welcome to the Solving Type 2 Diabetes Podcast. I'm Tom, and I'll be your host as I share what I'm doing in my daily life to solve my type 2 diabetes. Listen in as I share the food, movement, and tools that I'm using each day. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only. For a full transcript or to follow the Solving Type 2 Diabetes podcast on social media, please head over to SolvingType2Diabetes.com for all those links and more. Now, on to the show. Thank you very much for joining me here for another episode of the Solving Type 2 Diabetes podcast. I'm glad you set aside some time in your day to be here with me, and I certainly appreciate that. Let's take a look at my last couple of weeks. And again, once again, just a reminder, we are now on a bi-weekly release schedule for this podcast. So every other Monday, and specifically every other Monday at 4 a.m. Eastern Time. Shortly after 4 a.m. Eastern Time, you should be able to download this podcast if you are up and if you are in the mood to listen, feel free. Otherwise, it'll be there when you're ready for it. My last couple of weeks have been fun. I've had a couple of small adventures. I started off about, I guess, 10 days ago or so, flew up to Maine. Now, that was an adventure in itself. Because here I am in Pennsylvania, and Maine by flight would be about an hour, maybe an hour and a half from here, if there was such thing as a direct shot. However, there is no such thing as a direct plane flight from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, into anywhere near York, Maine. So I got a flight into Manchester, Nashua, New Hampshire, which is about, I'm going to say, maybe an hour's drive from York, Maine. But Boston also would have been an acceptable alternative. So I booked this flight, and it's a one-way flight. I flew up there in order to drive a vehicle back to Pennsylvania for my daughter. I got on the plane, and this plane took me to first North Carolina. You got to love these plane schedules. The cheapest, best way for me to get to York, Maine, was to first fly to North Carolina. I did that, and of course the plane taking off here from Harrisburg took off about a half an hour late. Now, I only had about a one-hour connection to begin with. I was a little nervous, but I said, what the heck, I'm going to give it a shot. They offered to rebook this flight, but I said, no, I'll give it a shot. And in fact, the plane that I was racing for was also delayed. That was delayed by about 15 minutes. So I actually was able to quickly get from the arriving gate in North Carolina, Charlotte, down to the departing gate, and they were actually calling boarding at that time. So I was able to walk right on the plane, and I made it. I did not run. I, I walked briskly, but I did not run. But it was all the way across the Charlotte 
airport, switching terminals and all, and it was all walking, and I was able to make it. Got in a few exercise minutes for that. So I get on the plane, it takes off, land in New Hampshire, Manchester, New Hampshire, Nashua, and the first text I get is from American Airlines saying my bag did not make it. While I was in the air, I did not use Wi-Fi, and when I was in the air, evidently, they realized it, they notified me, and I arranged for delivery because I did not want to stay at the airport because they said it would be on the next flight. Well, the next flight did not land for about five hours, so I did not want to stay at the airport. So I arranged for delivery, and sure enough, the next morning, uh, the bag was delivered right to the house in York, Maine, and really no harm, no foul. I got it about 9 a.m., the following day. So that worked out okay. Like I said, I was there to drive a vehicle home. So I drove a couple days later, left and, and was headed south towards home. But I made a stop in New York. I went to the New York Sheep and Wool Festival in Rhinebeck, New York. And this was my first time ever there. I don't think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but almost a year ago now, I started knitting. My kids said I needed to do more than just watch TV, and evidently my walks didn't count, so they taught me how to knit. So anyway, so I've been interested in sheep and daydreaming of now owning a sheep farm, which, you know, I won't do, but still daydreaming about it and thinking about, oh, maybe I should open a yarn shop or whatever. Hey, I'm retired. I should just sit back and enjoy it. So I probably will not open a yarn shop either. So I went to this New York sheep and wool, and man, they had sheep and they had wool. All kinds of different sheep were there on display, and you could pet them, and they had competitions for the breed quality. They had shearing competitions. They had uh, parades of sheep and llamas. It was a blast, and they were selling every type of wool or fiber product you could think of, and accessories too. Pins and woodworking and bags and hats and finished garments, sweaters and shawls and felted objects. I saw this one woman wearing something that I swear looked like it was right out of the Vikings movie or TV show. It looked like she was wearing a full sheep pelt, but she was not. She had made this. She took this fiber and a flattened fiber called roving it's been cleaned up and not spun but everything short of spinning anyway it's called roving so she laid that out and then she covered it with locks of long curly sheep locks that had not been really combed too much or anything they were nice and curly and nice and tight she covered it and then she felted that all together Anyway, she then put it over her front and back and had a hole for her head, but it was just like a front and a back, and then she cinched it together with this wide leather belt, and it looked rustic. It looked like it was straight off a sheep, but in fact, it was not. There was no leather of any type in the garment itself, but she did have a leather belt on, but I assume that was cow. Anyway, all kinds of stuff like that. I got to uh, meet... Uh, an author, got an autographed copy of her book, uh, Patty Lyons, if anyone knows that person. Uh, Patty Lyons, a prolific author and YouTuber and Instagram person and um, just a very good teacher. Anyway, fun, fun. 
Most of all for me, the fun was seeing my friends from the Junction Fiber Mill, and they have a video podcast. They call it their Millcast, but look that up on YouTube, Junction Fiber Mill. And they grow sheep, they raise sheep, they own a mill. Interesting story about how they came about owning a mill. But it's one woman about my age and one woman about the age of my daughters. And together, they just met and became friends and opened a business together. And it's just a miraculous story. But anyway, got to meet them, spent some time with them, of course, bought some yarn from them. That was the only yarn I bought uh, the whole weekend was from Junction Fiber Mill. They're making tracks. Uh, is especially colorful. We had a meetup. We did what's called a knit along. That's where a group of people all make the same thing or the same pattern. And then they come and they compare and they show each other their finished projects. And that was a little meetup we had there. The pattern designer was Ona Woolton. And if you look W-O-L-D-T-E-N, she's on Instagram. She's on Ravelry, different places, but she makes really awesome patterns. And we made what's called a torkel, T-O, and the O has a slash in it, R-K-L-E, torkel. And I think that's just some Northern European country word for scarf. But it turned out really nice. I enjoyed making that and showing them off. Fun time at New York Sheep and Wool. Did have some festival food, had a giant soft pretzel, but also had some good chili. And stayed away from anything sugary, but had some good fresh coffee there. So it was a really great weekend. And since I've been home, anyway, I did make it home after a couple of days there. Stayed in a really nice Airbnb, by the way, in Woodstock for that. Had first time ever in Woodstock, New York as well. Nice area up there. So since I've been home, it's been very warm. I've been home now for almost a week. And it's been very warm. It's averaging like 75, 78 degrees. And that's a full almost 20 degrees above normal for here. It's been sunny and really enjoying my walks out in the rail trail. It is hunting season though, so I've been wearing my uh, fluorescent safety orange and day glow yellow, things like that. But I've been been enjoying my uh, walks in the sun. Now this upcoming week, it's highs are only in the 50s, which is normal weather for us. So I'll be experiencing that here uh, this week. Okay, so... It was 30 days on the 500 milligrams of metformin. If you remember, now it's been about five weeks ago, I had a doctor's visit, and at that point I had been completely off all medication for about a month. And my doctor realized that that was not sustainable. My CGM was readings were going higher as the metformin, I'm sorry, as the Manjaro slowly made its way out of my system because I had been up in, on a Manjaro up until the end of August. I've been using that. And we realized that, I knew of course, but then she realized that, hey, I had to have something. So about five weeks ago, she started me on a single 500 milligram tablet of metformin. Now back a couple years ago when I had been taking metformin by itself, I was taking 1,000 milligrams twice a day. Well, in her wisdom, she decided I should start back on a single 500 milligram, so 25% of my dose. So anyway, that went on for 30 days, and she said, let me know what your average blood sugar is doing after 30 days. My average blood sugar after 30 days of being on a single 500 milligram metformin was 196. That wasn't a peak, that wasn't a high, that was my average for the entire 30 days, 196. 
so solidly into the type 2 diabetes range. And that probably has a, I didn't figure it out, but that probably has an A1C equivalent of about 7.5, 7.6, solidly too high. And again, I used to be on 1,000 milligrams twice a day before the Manjaro. But my doctor now has added a second 500 milligram metformin tablet. So now, for the past week or so, I'm on two 500 milligram tablets a day, 12 hours apart, of metformin. And she says, let me know what your blood sugar is after 30 days. Well, it's not going to be much different from 196. I can tell you that already, but... Again, I'm going with her on this. She's the medical professional, so uh, I'm trying to follow her lead. But remember, when I was on Manjaro, my average was 118 for blood sugar. 118, that's below pre-diabetes. Stop the Manjaro, get back on a little bit of metformin, and now the average is 196. Now, what am I doing? I'm not just standing idly by and eating Twinkies and zingers or ho-hos, I am closing my rings just about every day. Let's say six out of seven days. My average carbohydrate intake is less than 80 grams per day. On average, of course, they say that over the course of the last week, average of less than 80 grams of carbohydrates per day. I'm also eating in a slight caloric deficit. Basically, I want to make sure I'm not gaining any weight. So by Two, three hundred calories, I'm eating in a slight caloric deficit uh, just to keep that under control. What else have I done? I've done one other thing that I've never done before. This for me is brand new. I've made an appointment with an endocrinologist. Several people have told me that I should go with an endocrinologist and stop relying on my primary care physician. Some said get a different primary care physician, but I have no guarantees that'll be any better. So I have made an appointment with an endocrinologist. Now, they're backed up for new patients just like almost everyone else does. These days get backed up, takes forever to get in as a new patient. Well, that might mean they're good, so hopefully they're good. I know they work with my insurance, I check that out first. And they're the closest endocrinologist outfit that works with my insurance. And they're only about, I don't know, 10 minute drive away at most. So that's good. And they're with uh, Penn State Health. That's a big hospital, teaching hospital uh, around here. So Penn State Health, and it's one of their outpatient clinics. But I have an appointment with an endocrinologist. Now that appointment is not until the first week of December. So we're going to have a couple of episodes here before I get to go to see that endocrinologist. But I certainly will keep you posted on that. All right, well that's my news. Let's take a look at the other news. I've got several good articles here for you today. This first one, which I'm really encouraged about, and it is going to be a little bit pricey for folks that use that, but it's the article is called, An Arlington-Based Startup Looks to Diagnose and Treat Flaws in Diabetes Care. This is a very specific mission they're on here. They're looking for people who are already diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, but not having success. In other words, they're not getting their blood sugars out of control, under control. They are still having symptoms and side effects and issues with their type 2 diabetes, but they're under the care of a doctor, but nothing's really improving. So they're looking for that kind of patient, 
And it is a team of endocrinologists, nutritionists, behavioral health support people, health coaches, people who specialize in diabetes care. And they're taking the team approach to these patients. Now, again, this is a private practice, so this might be significant out of cost, out of pocket costs for you. But the company that they're building is called Rise, R-Y-S-E. They're pairing with Care First Blue Cross Blue Shield, which is ironically the insurance that I have. And they're in Arlington, Virginia. So they're too far away for me to really go to as a patient, but I'm encouraged by what they're doing. They are personalizing care to the individual, not just taking the steps that statistically say should help. They're working on a one-on-one basis. And this is why I think it's really going to cost more because they're providing support between office visits. You have telehealth visits, you have uh, text and chat and all this other kind of stuff to really look at all the factors and develop personalized care for the patient. So I thought that was uh, a very good article. The company is called Rise, R-Y-S-E, Health, Rise Health. So you can look them up. I thought that was very interesting. The next article here is entitled, Can the Order in Which You Eat Your Food Help Prevent Diabetes? And it says here, new study says yes. So what they're looking at here is that the order in which you eat your food can impact the spikes you might receive in blood sugar. And what they're basically saying is, for each time you have your food, make sure you pair your carbohydrates with fat and protein. In other words, don't eat what they call naked carbs, just eating bread by itself, or just eating crackers, or just having a bowl of bear pasta, something like that. They said that's going to cause the highest possible spike. What you want to do is first eat your loose leafy green vegetables with a lot of fiber, then have your protein and fat, and then finally top it off with a small amount of carbohydrate. And this does two things. First of all, you might be full by the time you get to the carbohydrate and you might eat less, but also having your fiber and your fat and your protein dramatically slows down your digestion. So the carbs get digested very easily. In fact, carbs really start digesting in your mouth with saliva. If you ever take a small cracker and hold it in your mouth, you'll notice that it turns to uh, paste very quickly, and then you can taste it becoming sweet. And that's because even in your saliva, the complex carbohydrates are breaking down, especially when they're already ground up as flour. They're breaking down into sugars, simple sugars, right in your mouth. And that can also cause cavities, things like that. But they're saying that by having your fiber and your fat and your protein first, because you slow down the digestion process, you slow down the spike in that sugar. And they're saying that could help uh, lessen your symptoms of type 2 diabetes or even prevent ever moving into type 2 diabetes, which I thought was extremely encouraging. Here's another one that might have some good news for us. It's entitled, Intermittent Fasting Beats Cutting Calories for People with Type 2 Diabetes. Now, the theory here is that, well, if you don't know what intermittent fasting is, it's reducing the number of times and the duration of time that you spend eating each day. Instead of having, and again, I can't recommend this. I'm no 
nutritionist, you'd have to decide whether this works for yourself. But what this article describes is instead of eating uh, a toast and or a bagel and cream cheese or something like that first thing in the morning with orange juice or whatever, and then having sandwiches at lunch four or five hours later, and then eating again your dinner four or five hours later, and then eating before you go to bed. Basically, you're eating across maybe 14 hours of the day if you do that. So your liver really never gets a rest. Your pancreas never really gets a rest. You really never clear out some of the things from your system that you need to clear out because you're constantly pumping in new uh, nutrients and your body has to deal with that. Even with reduced calories, because you're keeping your liver in action for those 14 hours, you're keeping your pancreas constantly trying to secrete out enough insulin over the course of the 14 hours, even if you reduce calories a little bit, you're really not seeing any dramatic effects from those reduced calories. However, what this article says is if you limit to um, just a few hours of eating, let's say you don't eat anything before lunch and you stop eating by, let's say, 6 p.m., well, now instead of eating across 14 hours a day, you're only eating across six hours a day. Your insulin is coming out all at once. Your liver is working just once. And that cycle of, of only eating across a few hours each day seems to give, at least according to the study, better results in reducing blood sugar spikes, which is important to us. And also, if you're trying to lose weight, produce, producing a little bit better result than simply cutting calories. All right, let's look at this next article here. Now, this is about an unexpected side effect. It's a side effect that would not have impacted me, but can impact maybe half the people using Manjaro. The article is entitled, Manjaro Babies, Doctors Say Weight Loss Shot Can Negate Birth Control, Leading to Unwanted Pregnancies. Now, this is interesting. What they found is that for some women who are of the time when they can have kids, if they're on Manjaro, it could be reducing or completely eliminating the birth control effect of the medication they're taking to prevent pregnancies. Therefore, they're finding that women are becoming pregnant when they thought they were covered by their birth control, and now they're saying that somehow the Manjaro is impacting that. That's a word of warning. If you're on birth control and want it to stay effective, talk to your doctor about the effect that Manjaro might be having on your birth control. Finally, this last article here is a little bit of a warning. It says, people with diabetes who stopped taking metformin faced increased dementia risk. So what they're finding is that for people with type 2 diabetes who are taking metformin, they stave off or can somehow reduce or delay the risk of dementia. Now, they say that this is not proven as a cause and effect, that by taking metformin, you have this benefit, but they do see a correlation that people who have type 2 diabetes and take metformin do get a reduced amount of dementia, which, you know, they're speculating here as to uh, why this happens, and they're saying that uh, if you have type 2 diabetes and you uh, don't take metformin, diabetes has a harmful effect on your heart and can increase blood pressure. They also say there's a strong correlation between high blood sugar and Alzheimer's disease. 
So anyway, look at that. If you're interested in perhaps having a way to uh, reduce dementia, but again, they have not said that it's a causality. It is, in fact, simply a, a correlation, something that they've noticed. Let's look at our main topic for today. And last time I did tell you that we were going to talk about adding body weight strength training without the need for equipment so that uh, we all understand strength training is an important part of the plan. Now, I'm not telling you to do or to start any type of exercise program. That's something that you and your maybe your coach or your doctor you should talk about first before you begin any of that. I'm just giving you some ideas here on once you are cleared and okayed and have a desire to do some body weight strength training that you have some ideas for doing it without the need to go out and buy pieces of equipment. So talk to your doctor first, but here are some ideas that you might want to think about. The first is a classic. It hits your chest, your shoulders, your triceps, and it's the basic push-up. Now you can start push-ups against the wall standing up. Start where you're at, but the push-up is a great exercise for your chest, shoulders, and tricep. For the lower body, squats is a good exercise. Takes no equipment. It's just uh, squatting back down. Make sure you do it properly. There's lots of good videos on YouTube for that. Another is lunges. And again, this works the lower half of your body, your legs, your glutes, things like that. But lunges, stepping forward with one leg, bending both knees. And I think you're not supposed to go over your toes with your knees. But again, look that up with experts. Plank. It's like holding the top of a push-up position. And some people do it like that. Some people put your elbows on the ground. But it's basically keeping the back flat as a board or as a plank. That's how it got its name. Mountain climbers. This is a little challenging. You start in that same plank position, but then you alternate bringing your knees toward your chest as you're almost as if you're climbing up a very steep mountain, back and forth and back and forth. Burpees. Hey, this is a CrossFit person's dream here is the burpees. And that's a squat, a push-up, and a jump all put together. So basically, you flop down on the ground, in an orderly fashion, get your chest to the ground, and then hop up. You suck your legs back up and hop up, and then a little jump, and some people clap their hands above their heads. They like adding that, but it's just that over and over again is the uh, burpee. Glute bridges. Okay, now for this one, you're laying in your back with your knees bent, and you lift your hips up, and you make your body into like a bridge where your shoulders are on the ground, your feet are on the ground, but everything else is pushing upwards towards the sky. That's a glute bridge. And that's great for your glutes and your hamstrings. Tricep dips. Some people use a chair or a coffee table, but whatever it is, make sure it's sturdy. This is a little wobbly. You don't want that. But basically, you're dipping down. You support your hands and you then lower yourself and then you push back up with the strength of your triceps which is a great exercise for your arms. A side planks is like a plank, except you're facing the wall instead of facing the floor. So you're only using one arm to support you, but again, you keep your whole back from your head to your ankles all in one straight line. 
Bicycle crunches is the last tip I have for you here. And that's where you lay on your back and you bring one knee toward your chest and you rotate your opposite elbow towards it. It's, and you touch your knees to the opposite elbow and then alternate back and forth while you're lying on your back. So that was real quick, but those are 10 ideas, and there's many more, ways that you can get strong using just the weight of your own body. And you can add that strength training without having to add any equipment whatsoever. But hey, listen, remember, first of all, talk to your doctor, talk to your sports coach first before doing any of this. Make sure they agree that it's safe for you. Then remember always to warm up and listen to your body. If you got an ache or a pain, don't push it. This is not supposed to be painful. And then adjust the repetitions and the sets based on where you are. So as you get stronger, maybe you can increase the number of repetitions or the number of exercises you do in one day. So anyway, take that, enjoy that, use that, and hope you have success if that's your goal to add some body weight strength training without the need for any equipment. Okay, let's look at your questions today. And uh, today we have a comment from Joe. Thank you, Joe, for writing in. Joe says, hello, Tom. I recently started to add rucking to my walks. It's a great low impact way to add some additional training stress to something that I'm already doing. I have then attached an email with links to several articles. I have started light at just 10 pounds because I don't want to injure myself. I intend to gradually add weight until I get to 40 pounds. That's the recommendation for general fitness, is to carry up to 30% of your body weight. I encourage you to consider adding this to your regular walks. You can gain fitness without additional time out of your week. Check it out. Regards, Joe. Well, Joe, thank you very much. Uh, yes, he does include some articles here, and rucking basically is using a tight fitting backpack. Some people use a vest so the weight is in your chest and on your back, but it's tight fitting. It's small. It's not at all looking like a backpack that you would take camping in the woods. This is very small, simply to hold. I think they're usually lead weights, but these articles all talk about how it can add muscular endurance, stamina, and strength, and you can burn about 100 calories more in the same time simply walking the same pace but carrying a backpack that is up to a maximum of 30% of your body weight. Now, for me, that would be about 60 pounds, and I don't see myself carrying around 60 pounds for the fun of it, but 10 or 20 pounds, I might just do that. So you can Google Rucking, R-U-C-K-I-N-G, and the company called Go Ruck is a big sponsor of this. They sell these weights and packs and things like that. If you would like to add some strength training into your walking, and walking is primarily a very low impact aerobic exercise. So if you and your doctor think that your joints and whatnot can support this and you watch some videos to ensure you have the proper posture and are carrying the weights properly, but they all seem to be very tight to the upper back and upper chest is where everyone seems to be carrying these weights. So anyway, check it out and maybe you'll add some 
rucking to your walks. Thank you very much, Joe. I appreciate that. If you would like to contact the podcast, if you would like to contact me here, there's two easy ways to do it. First of all, is to send an email to tom at solvingtype2diabetes.com. That's my direct email address. You can also go over to the website, solvingtype2diabetes.com, and click on Feedback. And there's just a simple little form there. You type in your name, you type in your question or your comment. Maybe you have a suggestion for a topic for an upcoming episode. All of that would be greatly appreciated. I would love to hear from you. So reach out and uh, do that today. So what is next? Next week, because I'm on various medications now, switching from metformin to Farsiga to Manjaro, back to metformin, I'd like to talk about what these classes of medications are for type 2 diabetes. There's a few typical classes of drugs that are given that have various effects and side effects and actions, and I'd like to very briefly talk about those next week. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Solving Type 2 Diabetes podcast. I hope you found it valuable. Please follow and leave a five-star review as it helps other people find the podcast. By subscribing, you ensure you won't miss the next episode. You can always get a full transcript of the episode at solvingtype2diabetes.com. There, you will also find the links to leave feedback and links to follow on social media. I'm very interested in hearing from you with comments and suggestions. Thanks very much for listening. Please remember that everything I share is just from my own personal experience and should not be taken as medical or health advice. Please consult your own medical professionals. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only.